Our partner for this episode is Carl Treen and Food Forest Card Game. I love what Carl's done because with a deck of these cards and the many free games you'll find at foodforestcardgame.com, you can explore the different relationships that lead to functional permaculture designs, integrated homesteads, and more by placing yourself at the center of the interconnected links of plants, insects, animals, and people. These cards allow you to play fun and challenging games that allow you to match the inputs of one card with the outputs of another to create beneficial relationships. You might try matching a card that produces nitrogen, such as clover, to a nitrogen consumer, like blackberries. Or, if a plant needs a trellis, like grapes, you can search for a plant that acts as one, like linden. By matching up these relationships in different types of plants across the variety of games, players discover how to use the complex web of nature to their advantage, both in the game and in the garden. In addition to being a fun game, Food Forest cards are also responsibly sourced. Every deck sold plants multiple trees. They not only offset their impact, but honestly improve the environment. Learn all about the many games you can play and pick up a deck of cards today at foodforestcardgame.com. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. The title for this episode is based on a quote from Bill Mollison that my guest, Jeff Christou, paraphrases in the middle of our conversation today about how utopian literature, the need to imagine the future, and sharing that vision with others through stories can help our work as permaculture practitioners, that we can create more abundant designs by first sitting down and thinking about what we want in the place where we live, in our relationships with earth and other life, and in the wider world. By knowing those stories deeply, to inhabit them, we can teach others to yearn for a vast, bountiful, and regenerative life. Enjoy this conversation with Jeff, and I'll share the full quote from Bill after the interview. Then, Jeff, can you give us a bit of your biography and background, and how you came to write your novel, Utopia, A Permaculture Vision? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm talking to you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, where I'm an architect and uh, permaculture designer. I work at a small architecture firm that practices sustainable architecture and high-performance buildings. I came to write the Utopia actually after being inspired by a lecture I went to by the Canadian architect Douglas Cardinal, and he gave this very haunting presentation where it was a mix of both fire and brimstone, where he called us the cancer on the earth and documented all the atrocities that modern people commit. But on the other hand, interspersed between these slides was his approach to design and his methodology for using basically a permaculture design framework to create his buildings. And at the end of the presentation, the other people in the room were honestly just left feeling bad about themselves and feel like they were a problem. So when I was heading home after the lecture, it it occurred to me that we should be able to tell a story which left people feeling empowered and positive and not feeling like they were part of the problem. So I started writing the utopia by creating it a matrix because I often think about things negatively. I sort of, that's how I work. I think about something I don't like. And, and unfortunately a utopia or fortunately, I guess a utopia is about the positive. So I created a matrix. Whereas on the left hand, I had things that I, I didn't like problems I saw around me. And on the right hand, I rewrote those things as positives and the utopia, the story I wrote is about those positives telling a world where 
it's all solutions and, and not really getting into the negatives because I think obviously we can be inspired by fear or greed or lust, but I think also we can be inspired by hope and love and, and compassion. And I think telling that story and using permaculture as a framework was it's just such a great opportunity to really hopefully inspire people to see the possibilities around them in a positive way. And it's one of the things that drew me to permaculture in the beginning is that this is a positive solutions-based process-oriented system of design, that it's about finding what it is in the world we would like to promote and at the same time minimize the negative impacts. And that's where your work and this body of utopian literature is just so interesting because of the vision it gives us of what is possible in a positive light and guides us towards what we can do next and what we can dream towards. With that in mind, could you share some of the literature and authors that inspired you and your current work? So Thomas More was obviously the founder of the term utopia. And when he wrote the story, for him, utopia, the word itself meant two things. It was simultaneously a good place, but it, topos means place, but it also was a play in the word non-place because it's inherently an imagined world because, you know, the society around us cannot be made from scratch. We are based on our inherited traditions and customs. So utopia is more of a thought experiment in, in what is possible. And he was actually drawing on some work from earlier writers going way back, such as Plato or Lucian and um, sort of the founders of science fiction almost. But in his story, a traveler is wrecked on this island and starts to discover a civilization largely based on completely different principles than the society he's from, the traveler's from. And the story catalogs him as he journeys and learns about the different aspects of the society. And what you quickly realize is that the utopia is actually a critique, but it's a critique formed by offering a positive vision. So the negatives are embedded, but they're they're sort of implicitly, it's an implicit critique of contemporary society, but through a positive vision of what it could be. And it might differ from science fiction in the sense that utopia should be rooted in almost reality. It could almost be possible. And, and, and some science fiction writers are more fantastic. So Thomas More was, was definitely one of the original writers, but I think the the biggest inspiration for me was the English architect and craftsperson William Morris, who was among the chief leaders of the arts and crafts movement in England, which was a reaction to industrialization and mechanization that was gripping the English countryside, Manchester and London, where people rapidly migrated to these cities and, and there was no sanitation, there was no environmental control so it became a sort of hellscape and William Morris in his utopia news from nowhere tells the story of a English countryside in London which has been transformed into forests and springs and you could say it's a neo-pastoral story about where people are working with technology but they're not obsessed with it and where they're not in a rush and they're not despoiling but they're preserving and enhancing and the, the work of William Morris itself as an architect and designer is really a testament to these ideas and his story, News from Nowhere, helped to codify those ideas and 
provide a vision for what they could be. And, and I think they definitely influence his physical work that he built, whether it's his furniture, his wallpaper, or his buildings. And, and then I, another artist, writer, is Charles Fourier, who's coming out of France. And he's a bit of an enigma, and he's incredibly... He's a, he's a funny guy, so it's hard to talk about him too much. But his, his main critique was saying, why don't we create an economy based on, not on scarcity, but on desire and creating the social structures which would reflect that basic change in thought to move from an economy of scarcity to one of desire. And so he thinks, how can we work with desire as if it's a good thing to create a mutual benefit society that everyone works together, the, the labor is not tiresome but pleasant, and everyone is doing tasks that suit them. He thought that there should be a two-hour work schedule where you move from one task to another throughout the day so nothing becomes grueling or tiring. And then, and then I think the most modern reference for me was Christopher Alexander, the architect, um, and his, his book, The Battle for the Life and the Beauty of the Earth, and it, this tells the story of his work on the, a university campus in Japan and how he, his approach to try to use subtlety and finesse to sort of work in a way that supports life was always being met with this. This is what he calls the two systems, always being met with this process for efficiency, for money, for profit, for size, for speed, and how these two forces are constantly battling. And, and in the story, the battle for the life and beauty of the earth, he talks about this way of design where at the very start you you write a story about what it is like to be at the building, what it is like to approach the campus, how you pass through a gate and then how you're met with the main street and then off to the left you have a garden. And, and I just thought that, that that way of thinking and that way of storytelling and ultimately of designing was really beautiful. So those are some of the main inspirations I had in the story. You mentioned how Morrison's thoughts influenced his architecture. Do you find that your vision of utopia in the modern world also influences your architectural work? That's a that's a tough question because as in Ontario when we practice architecture I'm I'm practicing more from the inside of a system that's bad that I'm trying to change but what we do is constantly trying to implement our ideals such as lowering the embodied carbon of our building creating more energy efficient structures. But at the same time, we're constantly battling against the building code and bureaucracies, which are always trying to require the use of, to basically require the use of, of toxic materials. And, and unfortunately, I'm not at the bleeding edge of natural building and, and the use of lamb's wool for insulation, but we're doing what we can from the beginning. And I'd say, it's a challenge, but we're trying to incorporate these ideas. And writing the Utopia gave me, and just as I said earlier, by creating a list of negatives and, a, and then the corollary of positives, that, that really fueled my architectural imagination for my own work and began to be thinking of how can a building in a city, could it not just be carbon positive, but could it be generating a huge amount of energy? Like think of all the biomass that a, a condo tower generates in terms of compost and green waste. And if that was going into a system that was an on-site, maybe it's a, a bioreactor, maybe it's just a, 
active compost system, could you be generating enough electricity, not just to power the building, but even maybe to charge electric cars for all the residents? Or, and there's a, <laughs> there's a famous story, actually, about a building in London, England, that the designers unintentionally shaped the facade in such a way that it focused sunlight onto the street. And it focused the sunlight so much that it actually melted the rubber on a car that was parked there. And so that got me thinking, how could we use the glass facades of our building to reflect and focus sunlight to create heat? So the utopia embodies that when in the story, they go to what I call the solar city, which is a city that the whole city has been designed not just as carbon negative, but as, as carbon positive. The whole city is using all their waste resources, all the sunlight and all the water that hits their surfaces. They, the buildings focus the sunlight onto central solar collector that creates a high temperature for manufacturing steel or concrete and the water is used for aquaculture projects and for flushing the toilets and, and gray water systems and start thinking about how a city could become this beacon for change and not just the countryside. Uh, a lot of permaculture is about the rural and the suburban, but could, could we have hyper-urban that's actually, you know, super positive for the world as well? Because they, people that live in condos have the lowest carbon footprint anywhere. And there's stories of people moving to the countryside from you know, New York, let's say, and where they drove no kilometers and, and they walked everywhere and then they moved to the countryside and they realized they're driving, you know, 50 miles a day. They have huge electrical bills now for their house. And yeah, I think writing the Utopia helped me really question these sort of ideas and think about how from an architectural perspective, you could just totally turn the paradigm on its head. Like right now, condos will lose their heat if the power goes out in a condo it'll lose its heat within within hours and be uninhabitable but flip it on its head and how could the condo become like a storage battery for energy and heat and resources and there's some really neat actual practical examples too in toronto we're right on lake ontario and there's a a massive geothermal system that powers a lot of the buildings downtown uh, with their heating and their cooling and it's massive like pipes as big as you could walk in and they're completing a building right near me right now that has a 400 foot deep by 80 foot wide thermal battery in the basement that's going to store the heat from the buildings in the basement and then tie into the lake side geothermal system and so I think natural building and the use of sustainable non-toxic materials is absolutely essential but I think there's also this bigger sort of how can urbanism at its biggest scale be made carbon positive and be made to be a force of good and I think writing the utopia the thought experiment right so it lets your mind go to places that they haven't been before and and then as a professional or as a designer you can sort of say wow where did I go with that thought and how did that how could I integrate that into my practice and obviously there's some practical examples like we're working on a hospice project and uh, it's it's going to be a 10-bed hospice project in in central Ontario and to start the design we used we told a story about how people would enter the site what they would see what they would smell and and how it would feel so instead we made it look like a house and we designed it so that the roofs and the roof lines were 
residential feeling and comfortable. And even though it's basically a, a, a small hospital, we wanted it to feel like a home and we created a herb garden and a naturalized meadow. So we had the we had to have a septic field, unfortunately, due to the code. But we worked to have a, a small septic field as possible. And then we're planting a, a wildflower meadow on top and with native seeds instead of just a grass lawn. And so the residents in the hospice will be able to look out of their window and instead of seeing a septic field, they'll see a meadow. And we worked with the civil engineers to harvest the rainwater and run it through swales into rain gardens instead of running it off site. So utopian thinking does have really practical implications. And our conversation ties into something I learned from the recent interview I released between Dan Palmer and Alan Savory. As I was digging into holistic management, is just how important it is to have a vision of the future. That's where I find this thought experiment or speculative fiction, which I think utopia literature could be classified under, that these ideas give us a sense of where we can wind up. And if we find something that we really like, that allows us to find ways from the moment where we are now to that future to see it develop. That we can actually achieve something like that when we're not just moving around the widgets of our day-to-day life, but living towards this long-term view that goes out generations and generations. With these visions, we can achieve some really monumental things. Yeah, that makes me think of the, the Bill Mollison quote about permaculture designers being time scouts and looking ahead to the future and trying to realize what, what that future might be. <laughs> I'm butchering the quote, but he talks about us being time scouts. And it's, it's pretty hard, even when I created my food forest at the start, it's, it's pretty hard to, you know, I used all the design methodologies of layers and, and creating an intensive system. It, it, when you first few years, when you look out at it, it's hard to imagine it as a food forest. And a lot of people were, I don't want to say laughing at me, but they, they were laughing at the fact that my food forest, the, mo- the thing they could see the most were the stakes that I used to mark the trees, not even the trees. But, you know, seeing that realized is obviously, it takes some trust. And the, uh, the other side is to go into a negative direction a bit is, is the dystopias, which are, that's probably one of the most common and popular fictions out there where it sort of takes what's wrong with the world right now and then imagines how it could get even worse. And you know, any utopian or permaculture fiction is going to be struggling against that sort of overriding cultural tradition of the dystopia. But yeah, when I go to the Black Oak Savannah in High Park, which is a remnant of the old forest that used to be growing all over Ontario, that's where I get a vision of what the future could be, even though it is the distant past, this multi-hundred-year-old trees. So when you see Alan Savory's work too, what, what captures you is those time lapses that show a few years of holistic grazing or, or Jeff Lawton's work on the greening the desert or um, Neil Spackelman with the Albeda project. It's those time-lapse stories, but in order to get there, you need to take your first step. And, and um, Oscar Wilde, the, the, another British author from the 19th century, said that progress is the realization of utopias. And that's sort of the idea that we need to cast our minds to what might be and then try to see how we can inform our actions. It's, and maybe this ties in with your thinking too, but a bit about the, the permaculture pit and how 
after the initial PDC, you sort of feel maybe a bit helpless or a bit stuck. And so maybe that's sort of because it's hard to see how you get from where you are to where you want to be. And maybe storytelling and, and maybe telling yourself a story about what you want to see about your own life is the way to maybe that could be something that could help you get out of that. Like just not describing at a high level, but just at a very pragmatic level, when you walk outside your door, what do you see and how does it look and how does it feel? And then as you go further and further outside, what, what's happening out there? And I think sort of what's beautiful and maybe frustrating about utopian and maybe ecotopias is how relative how relative they are to each person. But I think, though, they might start out relative, but as, as you work on your utopia or your, your fiction, I think what you would find is a lot, there's a lot of overlap between all these different stories. And, and that's really, I find, what's beautiful. I'm, in, in my story, I'm not saying that this is what should be. I'm saying what, what could be. And I think when people read it and I've gotten feedback that, they see a similar thing in the world. They, they want a world that's a world of abundance and harmony and peace and, and, and relaxing beneath the shady chestnut trees. So, yeah, I think that storytelling is a way that we can definitely start from where we are to get to where we want to be. And it's something that's maybe, maybe it's hard nowadays, though, with such instant news cycles and fast polarized discussions. But I think it is worth taking the time, creating the space to tell yourself a story and then to share that story ultimately and get feedback. And that's something I really am maybe most excited for about this story is really trying to spark the conversation and get the feedback and, and hear what people think and what they disagree with and what they don't agree with. Because as soon as we're having that discussion, that's, that's progress where we're, we're trying to find the common ground, which we can use maybe as the basis to work together and maybe storytelling is the way we get there. After writing your novel, do you have any thoughts or suggestions for someone who wants to go down this road, personally or professionally, and write down their story or vision of the future? Writing is, is a way of thinking, and I think a lot of times that the, I found the most traction with just free writing and starting to write, don't, you don't even need a plan maybe an intention is enough, but start free writing and see where you get to and then, and then keep free writing and see if themes and common patterns emerge. And if it's, if it's tough to write on a start, then maybe you need to change scale. If you're trying to write about a better world, maybe you should start about the sounds you hear in the morning or the, the touch of your items around you. And maybe that's your in and maybe that's the way you start getting traction it, when we're designing a building you could look at the building from a site perspective you could look at it from the floor plan but you could also look at it from the door handle or you could look at it from the material of the walls or the flooring and maybe if you can't think of your site strategy maybe you need to switch scales and think of something more tactile more emotional and so i think my first advice would be to start free writing and just see what themes emerge that might interest you. And by, by free writing, writing, I mean just sitting down with a pen and a paper or on your computer and, and start telling a story and see where it goes and don't have judgments about it. 
and just the next day do the same thing and and I did that with some of my initial stories and after doing that for many days there became these themes that emerged that I started to realize were overriding my interest in paths and the traces we leave behind for instance I, I couldn't have told you about that before I had done all that writing it emerged out of something and then my second advice would be to change scales until you gain momentum and then use that as the the carriage and drive yourself forward in your creative whether it's a story or a dance or a song think of what scale you want to work at and if it's not working change the scale and with the utopia i tried to create a story that would convey the sense the scents the smells the textures the sounds of a world where permaculture was implemented and for me that was my and was to tie in with the emotional or the aesthetic to to sort of talk about the beautiful things and and to keep moving because the human mind is designed to listen to stories it fills in the blanks and it it wants to hear stories it wants to enter a world and by changing scales you can get those areas of the brain to connect the dots and you don't need to work and write a 5000 page story you can tell a very short story but by connecting the dots and changing scales you can by letting the mind connect the dots you can create a very subtle and nuanced world and i think now more than ever we actually need permaculture fiction and we need more utopias more ecotopias because so many people from different walks of life really do feel the need for change they feel the need to have a positive vision and and we need all those different stories shared because it needs to appeal to those different people whether it's in a rural setting or a hyper urban setting and i think about the importance of stories from different cultures as well because of what's informed because of the country and place that we come from the folklore and myths and cultures that shape who we are as people and what we can imagine out from where we are and that the more we're able to share these ideas and communicate them from more diverse backgrounds the smaller the world becomes and the more we can find what we have in common even if you know in the moment it seems like we have nothing that we could share and that yeah that's a good point actually because i think what i find inspiring about learning uh, learning about permaculture and the case studies all over the world is when it it's the common element is people are working with nature their small slow solutions and i've been inspired by the the uh, the gardens in vietnam the traditional gardens which had were fo- food forests and i've been inspired traveling through corsica the ancient chestnut groves which were food forests and there's so many practices out there even in in canada and the use of the black oak savannas traditionally or the the maple trees traditionally those are all examples of a permaculture permanent culture and i think uh, the more different cultures that we have telling stories and we live in a global world so i think we'll see the overlap more and more and more and and that's what's beautiful too about permaculture is how you really focus on those common elements and i when i first read the uh, the designer's manual he says bill mollison says that permaculture is based on positivism and maybe i'm just a nerd but i said oh yeah positivism that's the school of philosophy based on using your senses to gain knowledge 
but I think I learned afterwards that Bill Mollison meant that it was positive as in optimistic, but I think it's both, you know, it, permaculture is positive in the sense that it's optimistic, but it's also positivistic in the sense that it uses the senses. And when you start to open your eyes and your ears and you start working with nature, the solutions are not, they're different in kind, but not nature. The, the use of like how you create a, a permaculture landscape in, in Saudi Arabia, like Neil Spackelman, or how you do it in Tasmania is, is you're using similar elements. So the storytelling can touch on those similar elements for sure. I'm glad you joined me today to share how you arrived at your imagining of a world designed by permaculture and for your encouragement of others to walk down this path. But in the time we have remaining, do you have anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? I think I, I think the, one of the main things maybe to take away is how s- storytelling could be used as an element in the permaculture design process. We might do a zones analysis, we might do a, a slopes analysis, but I think there's a huge space for not just a questionnaire about what people want, how many people are living on the site, but for people to tell themselves stories about what they want the experience of their permaculture site to be from a perspective of a visitor, from a perspective of themselves at different scales, at different time periods. And that could be one of the essential layers that we add to our design process um, is the use of narrative and storytelling. And I guess the other thing I'd like to say is I, I just think there's so much opportunity for this genre of permaculture fiction it's just screaming for more stories to be told about a world where people work with nature and if the last thing i say is i i want to encourage people to take up this challenge and help to spread this stories because i think i was thinking about this as being necessary last year but now we're in the midst of a global pandemic that's changed basically many of the foundations of our lives and we need these stories that are hopeful and we need these stories that are they were part of the solution before and now they're only more relevant and it's only more essential that we tell these hopeful stories because we have everything to lose and everything to gain and I think it'd be great to be able to eventually have a library full of permaculture fiction from bioregions all around the world and from different perspectives. And I, I hope everyone can do their part in, in the telling their story. Well, thank you for that, Jeff, and for joining me today on this episode of the Permaculture Podcast. Thanks, Scott, and keep up the good work. And that was Jeff Christou. You can find his work and pick up an e-copy of his novel at permacultureutopia.com. As I said in the beginning, the title for this episode is based on a quote from Bill Mollison the text of which is, When we design, we are always building for future floods, future fires, future droughts, and planting a tree a few inches tall that will be future forest giants, throw future shadows. Future populations will need future soils and forest resources, shelter, security. So someone needs to range ahead in time, scout out the next century. We are not daydreaming, we are time scouts. Each of us can contribute to this act of scouting the future by taking those thoughts we have of what could be, of what might be, and what we can imagine, and putting them down somewhere where they can be shared. Though Jeff and I spoke about the idea today in a novel, any form of art 
whether painting or play, can share what is possible. So I'm wondering, do you have any examples of permaculture art? I'm interested in hearing about any form of literature, short stories, paintings, photographs, really any media that might inspire the imagination. If you have something like this floating about in your own collection, please send me an email with the subject, Permaculture Art. If you'd be interested in a workshop on storytelling for design, please get in touch and I'll put you on the mailing list for the upcoming class. Show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. As Jeff mentioned during the interview, I've been exploring the idea of the permaculture pit and how each of us can move through the period of inspired uncertainty that follows a permaculture design course. If you find yourself in this place and are looking for resources, opportunities, and ideas that can help you take your next steps, I'm here to help. You can schedule an informal conversation with me to discuss whatever you're working on at calendly.com permaculture meandering. If you're working on a permaculture design, homestead, or other work, and would like me to bring my decade of experience and training to your project, you can schedule a 30- or 60-minute consultation at calendly.com permaculture. You'll find links to both of those and more in the show notes. Until the next time, tell the stories that share your vision of the future while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. <laughs>